We're glad to have all of you here today with us on this holiday weekend. And uh, a little cold weather doesn't scare you away, right? Obviously you're here, so that's good. Uh, I spoke at a, uh, a workshop uh, Thursday or Friday and uh, yesterday. I committed to it before all the transition things happened. And so I drove to Erie, PA and back. And they have a totally different attitude about snow. And I was reminded it was like to grow up in Cleveland. Uh, you know, it's going to be like, I'm, yesterday I'm like, man, you guys are getting five inches of snow tomorrow. They're like, yeah. <laughs> no big deal. I'm like, that would shut Dayton down, you know. So people are literally driving around in their cars. I saw several cars with snow skis strapped to their roof just waiting, you know, so for the opportunity. But anyways, and uh, we're going to jump into the sermon today. Opportunities, uh, choose your response. And as a Browns fan, I am choosing <laughs> to smile anyway. That, that was brutal. Oh. But anyway, it's just a game, right? It's just a game. I said just a game. So, uh, but we're glad you're with us. And uh, last weekend, I shared uh, a, a very important announcement of things that are coming about for us at Christian Life Center. And I want to come back to that as the second part. And next week will be the third part of sort of the announcement in pieces. And if you haven't seen last week's message yet, please go to clcdayton.com and watch it. The title for that sermon and the sermon for three weeks is Opportunities, Choose Your Response. Is by far one of the most important sermons I've shared in over 33 years as your lead pastor. The first sentence can set the stage for you who weren't here. Lord willing, Joyce, me and the board, expect around the end of August I will hand over the leadership of CLC to a new lead pastor. In case for some reason you weren't here last week and you've talked to no one and haven't been online, I'll let that sink in because it's a big statement. The rest of what I read walked us through the process we have gone through over the past two years with the board and succession team to be at a place of handing off leadership of CLC to a new lead pastor and his wife. This has been a prayerful, arduous, and intentional process, uh, really dating back uh, about 10 years, and we are thankful to see God's hand throughout. I mentioned that the board has not asked for this, and truthfully, Joyce and I approach it with obvious uncertainty. All we have known for the past 40 years is the consuming and rewarding lifestyle and calling of pastoral ministry here at Christian Life Center, and 33 of that having been in this lead role. We both feel like we have plenty of gas in the tank, so to speak, and I could continue in this role. However, in the best interest of the church family that we love and serve, we believe the best time to hand off is when the church is doing well, in CLC's case, very well. God has been good, our church is strong with good momentum, and this is an opportune time for the next steps for our congregation. So this weekend, I want to tell you about the person that the board, the succession team, and advisory board, and their spouses have all unanimously agreed to present to you as the candidate to vote on as lead pastor. Joyce and I also wholeheartedly recommend them to you, and hopefully look forward to staying at CLC as our church home after the handoff is complete. As I explained last weekend, at their request, I served the board by doing the actual search, uh, considering 21 candidates referred to me by 20 local, state, and national ministry leaders that I know and who know Christian Life Center. Again, because he has not resigned or announced the possible change to his church, we are withholding their identity until they arrive the weekend of January 27th and 28th. First, let me say, as a board, with the help of consultants in 2019, we prayerfully defined a pastor profile for any candidate that might be considered. I'll not read the entire document, but let me review uh, each key required area, and there are six key areas. First, integrity in all things. This includes seven identified areas in both their personal and their public life. Second, communication authenticity. 
The messages must be, their message must be scriptural, uh, include a willingness to address difficult subjects and issues. We look for humble authenticity. They must be relevant to where people and culture are at and effective in the message that they bring. Third, leadership acumen must be proven over time with at least a bachelor's degree in appropriate fields of study. They must show that they are effective and grounded in shared values and driven by a common vision in the organization that they lead. Global engagement is required to lead Christian Life Center. He must have a passion for the God-sized vision and committed to inspiring people to praying, giving, and going across our community, nation, and the world. We also look for global interest and engagement already displayed in his career. Operational diligence must be displayed in financial stewardship, attracting and developing healthy staff teams, and he must show high regard and ability with ministry organizations, systems, and processes. In an objective perspective, CLC is a large organization with around 50 staff members, a budget in excess of $10 million, approximately 4,000 constituents who consider us their church home, and strategic ministry partnerships across our city, nation, and the world. They must understand the systems of organizational leadership. Six, spirit-led life, prayer, spiritual disciplines, and an evident calling into ministry are essential for this spirit-filled servant leader. As you can imagine, the list of requirements and the person with the acumen to grow into leading a church the size and complexity of CLC is no small task. However, we lean into the confidence of Jesus who told us to ask and you'll receive. We believe we have received such a candidate. For starters, his personal purpose statement at the top of his resume reads as follows. To lead myself and my family in a growing relationship with Jesus and to be a catalyst for God's heart in a local slash global church through biblical preaching and teaching, leadership empowerment, and strategic organizational alignment with spirit-led initiatives. Leading CLC has been a privilege Joyce and I give God the glory and are thankful for a wonderful board and congregation and staff of possibility-oriented people to lead together as we pursue our mission. And once we, I say the word mission, you know me. What is it? To know God, value others, change our world. That wasn't real good. It sounds like you're like two degrees outside. Let's do a little better. Ready? To know God, to be his people, value others, change our world. And likewise, to pursue our God-sized vision. It's easy to become familiar and accustomed to who we are as a church. But my process and the many people I spoke to across the nation made me realize what a truly special place CLC is. And the complexity a new pastor will need to be able to deal with effectively as he grows into this role. As such, I realized early on, whoa, whoever the new guy is, he needs some financial acumen to lead Christian Life Center. We have a budget in excess of $10 million. We give away 25 to 30% of that. It also takes organizational awareness to run this place. Uh, I remember we had uh, dinner with friends of the family, and they're from a Catholic background, and they enjoy watching the services and whatnot. And not uncommon, they ask with, without inside awareness of what it takes to run a church. They said, so Stan, is CLC the kind of place that you have work to do besides speaking on the weekends? <laughs> oh, a little bit here and there. So... Imagine my satisfaction to read on his resume that our candidate had a, has a bachelor's degree with a major in business and nonprofit management and administration, along with a minor in biblical studies. I'll remind you, I did a double major undergrad in business administration and biblical studies. I also have an MBA, but a bachelor's level in business is excellent for this position and uncommon for pastoral candidates. He must also have a strong theological education. 
uh, having gone to two seminaries, and then I received the award for Outstanding Achievement in Biblical Studies in my undergrad, as well as my master's degree in pastoral counseling and psychology and doctorate in ministry conflict, uh, ministry conflict management. While many candidates have a bachelor's degree, he has a master's of divinity, which is an excellent degree, and received the award for Outstanding Practical Theology Student of the Year. So I enjoyed seeing that. He also has 21 hours of credits in missiology from an overseas seminary and a certificate of graduation from a missionary training institute overseas. Professionally, he has been a youth pastor, which seems to be an entry-level ministry step for many of us. I met Joyce when I was youth pastor at Evangel Temple, and she was youth leader at our first church in Akron, Ohio. He served as a college young adults pastor for several years and an executive pastor at another church before becoming lead pastor at the church he has served now for several years. His wife is from the Midwest, and although he wasn't born in the Midwest, two of the four churches he served for a combined tenure of about seven years have been in the Midwest. While he's neither a Browns or Bengals fan, I believe he may be persuaded to become a Buckeye fan. <laughs> or at least UD or Wright State. And I know Michigan fans are saying, why bother becoming a Buckeye fan, right? His wife has a degree in nursing and is a pediatric nurse. Uh, she and Joyce obviously found lots of common ground as they visited together. He's in his early 40s and she's in her 30s and they have young children. I originally hoped to find a candidate in their mid-30s to mid-40s. In the 2022 search, uh, the search firm that we hired could only find candidates in their late 40s to around 60 years old. I can now see why. It is a rare person who can amass the educational credentials as well as leadership experience, skills, and potential to lead a church like CLC in their 30s. It's almost unrealistic to think of a person to be at this stage in their life in their mid-30s as we speculated. We're happy for a leader as young as our candidate is for his wife and the young family that they'll bring to Christian Life Center. One last interesting fact. If you were here at our monthly prayer service in November when Joyce and I were in Africa, we focused on how to pray for the nations. Our special guest leader was Randy Young. Randy and his wife Becky have been friends with Joyce and I since we were in our youth pastoring days. If you saw Randy, his hair is white now. Well, when I first met Randy, we became friends. His hair was dark, and I had a full head of hair. So that was a while ago. Anyway, if you've heard the God-directed story of us going to Swaziland for the first time, I tell you that we flew from Dayton to Detroit to Amsterdam to Johannesburg, South Africa. We drove four hours into Swaziland. While in Detroit, you know the story, I got a text from a friend who was with Book of Hope saying, I hear you're going to Swaziland sometime soon. You need, to, you need to meet Kevin Ward. He is the strategic thinker in Swaziland. I think the two of you will really hit it off. You know the rest of the story, how our paths providentially crossed with Kevin Ward and started a 17-year partnership that has done so much. Well, that ministry friend and leader was Randy Young. As I said last week, I networked with about networked with 20 ministry leaders to get referrals, people across the nation, and guess what? It was my friend Randy Young who called me in August and said, Stan, I've been praying about what you asked me, and the only person I can highly recommend is, name withheld. Uh, when I typed this, I actually typed the candidate's name, and I proofread, oh, I can't say his name yet. So, uh, But our candidate was recommended by Randy Young, which is kind of cool. Randy arranged a three-way Zoom for us to meet. After the fact, our candidate told me he really only accepted the call out of respect for his relationship with Randy. He was not looking for a new position. I was quite encouraged by the Zoom, and he texted me afterward and said, I was honestly hoping God would give me a clear no after our call, but he did not. So that is a little about who we were searching, we searching for and who the board is bringing in for you to consider. On the weekend of January 27th and 28th, the board will introduce the candidate and his family and services. 
He will preach all three services. There'll be a Q&A time from 4.30 to 5.45 on that Sunday, followed by a special church council meeting at 6 p.m. In the council meeting, all official members present will be asked to vote yes or no for the candidate. Please continue to keep all this in prayer during our three-week all-church season of prayer and fasting. I also mentioned last week that this candidate, if he is elected, would like a gradual phase-in to, com- to the complete role of lead pastor at CLC. The board and the candidate and myself, with some tweaking from me, I have outlined this transition process. Next week, I will walk you through what we have planned for the mentoring and handoff season from March through August. In the meantime, keep this in prayer. Uh, it is uh, an opportunity, and uh, we will choose our response to that in the most grace-filled and hopeful way. So I want to now kind of segue to the message and uh, lose the, the stool and talk about opportunities and choosing your response. Say, I have a choice. In fact, tell somebody else, you have a choice. You have a choice. And... Last weekend, when we talked about opportunities, some opportunities are great. We love them. We look forward to them. We prayed for them. Some we didn't expect. We dread them. They're really hard. Either way, one of the verses that we landed on last weekend was from Romans chapter 8, which said rhetorically, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Every opportunity that you have in life, desired or undesirable, you've got a choice of what you say to it. And the best response, if God's for me, who can be against me? So I thought I would take that and tease it out a little further this weekend uh, to, to sort of help us look back at Scripture and then see what we can say as we face different opportunities in our life. And as I prepped this message, I couldn't help but think of my mom. Uh, my mom, uh, when I did her funeral, I said, my mom was really good at having strong opinions. Nice way to say that. And Joyce is smiling as a daughter-in-law. And one of the things she would always do is she would say, well, here's what you should say. If I had a dollar for every time my mom said, here's what you should say. I could buy us all lunch. I was that, that much, right? I would even tease her. You know, I'm in my 60s. I'm pastoring this church. Okay, mom, tell me what I should say because I don't know. You know, so, so I'm going to tell you what to say, okay? So repeat after me. Here's what I should say. All right. First of all, we're going to start off. If you have the app, you can follow along with us. Uh, say to God, you are wonderful when he answers prayer. Okay, say, you're wonderful. So many times we pray for things, and we might thank him, but and if we do it, it might be a quick, oh, thank you, God, for whatever. But, but, you know, when you give somebody something really special, whether it's your kids, your grandkids, your spouse, friend, whatever, and they, wow, man, I think there's not just thank you, but you're just so amazing, and they go on and on about it. I believe that's a way of, of worshiping God and just declaring how wonderful he is. There was a woman in the Old Testament that many, unfortunately, can relate to here. We can. Uh, her name was Hannah, and she battled infertility for years. Joyce and I didn't have kids until we had been married eight years, and a lot of that was infertility issues. And so uh, I know what that, we know what that heartache and that loneliness and that longing is about. Hannah finally had a baby. His name was Samuel, and she dedicated him to the Lord, and it's one of the precedents we use for baby dedication. And when she had this child and, and she prayed to God, listen to what she said in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. Hannah prayed, you make me strong and happy, Lord. You rescued me. Now I can be glad and laugh at my enemies. You know other God is like you and with you we are safer than on a high mountain. 
God, you're just so wonderful. You make me happy. Thank you for what you did. So I want you to think about something God's done for you, all right, big or small. Got you up and got you to church safely. I don't care, whatever, right? I want you to say, Lord, you make me happy. Make that a prayer when God answers prayer. I want to address another area. We're going to pivot and go in an opposite direction. What about your painful past? All of us have some kind of pain that's back there, some more than others. Some was circumstantial. Some was, was just, it lingers. And, and maybe that pain continues today. Say to a painful past, see, God did do Romans 8.28. Great example of that is found in the Old Testament. One of my favorite heroes is Joseph. Uh, there are heroes that, that did right, crash and burn, and then got back on track. What I love about Joseph is he stayed steady and faithful his whole life. In circumstances, most of us would have crumbled. Most of us would have thrown up our hands and said, forget it. Treated horribly by his family. His siblings uh, sold him into slavery. He was dad's favorite. Sold him into slavery after they, they beat him up. His, his dad sent him, sent him out to go check on his brothers who were watching the flock in the, in the wilderness. They see him coming, they make this plot, they beat him up, they throw him in a pit, they take his coat, they dip it in animal blood, they take it back to dad, they let dad conclude, my son is dead, goes through a whole grief reaction for years. They sell him into slavery, he goes off, ends up in Egypt, and for over 17 years he goes from, from prison out, I'm wrongly accused, and finally, miraculously, ends up Number two in the Egyptian empire to Pharaoh only in, in the palace. And, and God gave him this, this dream on how to prepare Egypt and really the, the surrounding civilization uh, for a famine that was going to last for seven years. And so not only did the, the, the dream that God gave to Joseph or the, the, the plan God gave to Joseph, not only did it save Egypt from famine, but all the surrounding nations, Egypt became the breadbasket of the civilized world. And so here's Joseph who has been gone for almost for, for two decades and his brothers, dad sends them to Egypt to buy food. Read the story. He kind of plays this cat and mouse with them and it's really fascinating uh, and he kind of gets into their heads. And so they are, they are in the, the throne room of this second in command and finally Joseph can't contain himself anymore and it's the big reveal. And in Genesis chapter 45, look at how Joseph takes this horrible, painful treatment of his family, horrible, horrible past, and, and sees Romans 8.28. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. So they don't know what's going on. And they came closer and he said, I am your brother Joseph whom you sold into Egypt. I mean, you can imagine their eyes got big as saucers. I'm sure there was panic here it comes. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years. There are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now therefore it was not you who sent me here but God and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Guys, as much as you hurt me, much as you betrayed me, you, you sold me into slavery. You let, to this day, dad thinks I'm dead and you live with that lie. I can see how, how God did 
Romans 8, 28, and he worked that together for good. So when you look back on your past and you can't help but sit in a sermon like that and like this, I, I semi-apologize, but I don't. It triggers those memories, those feelings. You can see their face. You can hear what was said. You remember the environment, you, you, whatever it was. And the thing is, we don't live with our past. We live with what we tell ourselves about our past. And one of the best things to do is, God, okay, teach me, give me a redemptive interpretation. Help me know what I should say about my past and, and to my past to see your hand, to see what you've done, or to trust you because I also said Romans 8, 28, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Remember, eventually, and if we let him. And if it hasn't turned out for good, you haven't seen the good come from it yet in some way or another, then ask God for grace and patience in the waiting and to trust him. And then to your doubters. How many of you got some doubters in your life? Yeah, it could be a spouse, could be a sibling, family, uh, an ex, a boss, co-workers, whatever. We all have them one time or another. And, and doubtful, critical things at just the right time, I find can kind of take you out the knees. Well, say to your doubters, repeat after me, everybody, God used me before, and he will again. So if you can look back on anything in your life, in your past, that God has done in and through your life, then there is no reason to believe he can't do something like that again. And a situation like that, you talk about somebody who was doubted. I mean, in numerous environments, by numerous people, it was David. You know, David and Goliath. Well, the Israelites are in battle against the Philistines, and the Philistines are on one side of a valley, Israelites are on another side. And, and the Philistines set the terms of the battle, which is always dangerous, the terms of engagement. And they said, let's just send out our champion. You send out your champion. Winner takes all. Okay, sounds good. Note to self, see who their champion is first. Their champion was Goliath, nine and a half feet tall. I can touch an eight-foot ceiling, add a foot and a half to the top of my fingers, and that's how tall Goliath was. And so the Israelites, the, read the story, the, the soldiers came every day, they'd, they'd, yell, they'd yell their battle cry, and then they come and stand, and they're just shivering in their, in, their, in their armor about what's about to happen. I don't want to go. David is sent by his dad to see how the battle's going, take some supplies to your brothers and check on things, and he hears what's going on. He hears about this Goliath. He hears nobody ever is afraid to fight him. He goes, well, I'll fight him. And, and word goes, and, and his brother kind of put him in his place. So who do you think you are to fight him? But word got through camp. It gets to the king. By the time word gets to the king, to King Saul, they didn't qualify. A 17-year-old boy wants to fight him. Just, hey, he's, somebody's here to fight him. Saul says, yeah, bring him here. And when, Saul, when, when he comes there and Saul sees him, you can imagine his heart sank. He thought, at least I have one guy with courage. And here comes this shepherd boy. In verse 33 of 1 Samuel 17, it says, Then Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. And you're but a youth. Well, he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said, Everybody say, but. Your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from his flock. I went out and after him, and I attacked him, and I rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard, and I struck him, and I killed him. Man, if that was Stan, when he rose up against me, I ran as fast as I could. <laughs> Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, 
He will deliver me from the hands of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you, kid. What did David do? He used his past and God's work in, in his life in his past to build his confidence for his future. And some of you need to look back when the doubters are coming against you. And sometimes the worst doubt is our own, isn't it? It's our own insecurity, our own accusations that happen between our ears and within us. And we say, nope, God was faithful before and God used me before. I was victorious with God's help before. He'll make me victorious again. David was even doubted by his biological family. I mean, if you go back far enough, Samuel, when he was going to anoint David as king, God laid it on his heart, go to a man named Levi. One of his sons is going to be king. Samuel goes to Levi's household, and he says, God sent me here to anoint a king. And so Levi brings six of his seven sons and parades them by Samuel. Is it him? Is it him? Is it him? Because they all look kingly, and they have the right stuff. He doesn't even bother sending for David in the field. I mean, what a put down is that? And so if I was, Samuel said, are there no more sons of yours? Well, it's David, but David's not king material. And so David, can imagine the vote of confidence that would feel like. But David came before him, and sure enough, he was king. As I mentioned, when he shows up at the battlefield and says, well, I'll fight Goliath, one of David's brothers put him in his place. You can't fight him. Who do you think you are? Shut up. So whoever is in your life that's, that's your doubter, whether it's you, whether you learn it from somebody else, whatever it is, say to yourself and say to the doubters, God, use me before, he'll use me again. And then to those of you who have Goliaths in your life, I don't know if it's medical, relational, in your family, your marriage, in your job, in your own emotional life, financial, what Goliath are you facing? Say to the giant in your life, I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Because when David mustered up the courage and, and King Saul said, okay, go ahead and fight him. You're all, you're all I got. He tried on the king's armor and nothing would fit. And he realized, man, I'm a mess like this. And so he lays that aside. And David, in just a shepherd's robe, walks out across the field to Goliath holding a, a, a slingshot and a bag of rocks. Now, Understand the mismatch. Goliath is standing there with full armor. He's got an armor bearer holding the shield. He's got a javelin. He's got a sword. I mean, he's, got, he's, he's loaded with weaponry, and he has, he has killed countless people in hand-to-hand -hand combat, and he is waiting for this teenager. Is this all you got? I mean, he was sending a teenager to fight him insulted him. It made him even more enraged. And what you don't want to do with a giant who doesn't want to be around you anyway is enrage him even more. So imagine David, what do I say to this guy? And earlier this week, uh, nobody was in here yet, and so I was praying up in the stadium seats. And, and so as I walked down, I kind of came down front and walking across the, the sanctuary. I'm walking down there. I thought, I wonder what David thought as he was walking across the field to that giant who was uttering death threats against him with just profanity and hatred. I wonder what he was thinking. What do I say? What do I say to him? Well, here's what he said to him. In 1 Samuel 17, 45, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. Good with all three, by the way. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. And he goes on to talk about, and I'm going to take off your head and feed it to the birds. I mean, David played the movie forward with God helping him. And he said, you know what? I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. 
And you have to realize as a child of God, God chose you, the Holy Spirit dwells within you, and you need to approach the giants in your life with a sense of confidence and that you're willing to give God glory. In verse 46, he gives God the glory so that all all the earth will know who's God. And then when you look ahead to 2024, there is uncertainty for all of us. And some of the uncertainty is going to be a really pleasant surprise. Yay. Some of your uncertainties are going to be difficult or painful. Some of you right now are in life circumstances and, and it's all you can do to not panic and not be overwhelmed because of what you're facing. You don't know how it's going to turn out. Say to threatening uncertainty, whatever happens, I will hope and trust in God. And the implication there is whatever happens, good or bad, I will hope and trust in God. The person that gives us this example is a man named Job. He was the Bill Gates of his day, wealthiest man of his time, uh, had all the influence and fame to go with it. And in two horrific days from hell, he loses everything, loses all of his wealth, loses his family through natural disaster, and, and then he loses his health. And he, we find him in this setting. He's sitting out amongst an ash heap, uh, and he's scraping boils of pus just all over his body, full of infection. His wife says, what kind of fool are you? Why don't you curse God and die? And, and look at what Job says. No wonder the Bible says he was a righteous man. He says, though he slay me, meaning God, though God slays me, I will hope in him. Other versions say, I will trust in him. Nevertheless, I'll argue my ways before him. I'll bring my case to him. I'll bring my needs to him. But you know what? Whatever God does, if he answers my prayer or not, if I live or die, if I suffer or celebrate, I will trust God. I will not shake a fist at him and point a finger of blame. Some of you are going through it. It's scary to say, whatever, I'll trust him. We want just the good things. But rain falls on the just and the unjust. Wonderful things happen. Painful things happen. But if we are like Job, we lean into the goodness of God and say, whatever God does, I'm going to trust him. And then studies tell us that our inner world nowadays has been better. Anxiety and depression are epidemic. And you may really have a lot of pain inside. I don't know what the cause was, don't know how long it's been there, but say to the pain in your inner world, the Holy Spirit is my comforter. Take a deep breath, like, the Holy Spirit wants to comfort you in your pain, within. In John chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus makes that clear. He says, I will ask the Father. He will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. And that word helper uh, is, means called alongside. I'll give, he'll give you the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is our comforter. And whatever pain or heartache you're going through, Jesus also said, I won't leave you comfortless. I'll come to you. I'll never leave you. I won't forsake you. It's appropriate when, when you're in that internal pain and agony. Maybe there's a smile on the outside, but you're dying on the inside. It's appropriate to say, Holy Spirit, I need your comfort. I need you to minister to me and give me your peace. Let me be aware of your presence. And this last point I, I added just because of the cultural context we're in uh, in modern times. And uh, it says very simply, say to the threat to your face, I will bow to Christ alone. 
there is gathering on the horizon of our world a cloud of persecution and resistance to Christianity like few things I believe we've seen before in a lifetime. Not worldwide, because persecution and opposition has always been there and is extremely intense, incredibly intense in some places in the world. But in our nation, there is coming a growing anti-Christ attitude to all of us who follow Christ and believe in his word. And I want to I sort of deposit this in your mind for later. When those moments come, we say, I will bow to Christ alone. The example of that is three Jewish boys. Israel had been conquered by the Babylonian Empire, and they picked the cream of the crop to kind of reprogram them to serve in the, in the Babylonian Empire, civil service. And these three guys, they changed their name to likewise strip them of their heritage. And so we know them by their Babylonian names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the king, who was an egomaniac, as kings and emperors were in those days, set up this huge statue of himself, and he said, here is the new law, hear ye, hear ye. When the band strikes up and plays, everyone is to bow down and worship in reverence the statue I've made. Well, these three boys know the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not. You'll have no other gods before you and no, no, you know, no idols. And so they know they're in trouble. Sure enough, they're in the, in the uh, town square where the statue is one day and the band strikes up. And imagine everybody, a huge crowd of thousands of people, everyone getting down on their hands and their faces. You've seen people in that worship position in certain cultures. Totally bowed down. When everybody else is bowed down like that and you're standing, you stick out. I can imagine the trembling that must have happened and maybe they're going, now what do we do? I don't know. I don't know. We just, just stand here. And true to what he threatened, the king called him before him He basically said, if you don't agree to bow to the statue, I'm firing up the furnace seven times hotter and I'm burning you guys to death. And and what's incredible to me is here is what these guys said. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us, O king, out of your hand. But, everybody say but. Even if he does not, I love that courage. Let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. King, even if he doesn't deliver us, we will not bow. There's coming a time we will. Paul tells us there's coming a time that every knee will bow on heaven and on earth and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. But that's at the great white throne judgment at the end of Revelation. Until then, we bow to no one but Jesus Christ. And as that persecution happens, stand strong. Now, I want to bring this all full circle to the life you're living and your circumstances. And as you sit through a sermon like this, as I say things, and I've already been through the service earlier this morning, so I know this has been happening. A lot of you have had a painful past. Or you've got doubters that are deafening in your, in your ear or in your soul. You're facing giants. There's uncertainty. Or there's pain in your inner world. And God wants to minister to you today. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me if you would. If something I just read, you'd say, yes, I'm facing that as my circumstance, my opportunity. And I need God's help. Would you raise your hand all across this place? Yeah scores of us. 
I need God's help to stand. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to stand right where you are. I'm facing these kind of circumstances. I want to choose my response to these opportunities. I need God's help. Just stand right where you are. I want to choose the right response. I want God's help to make that choice all across this place. And then here's the, here's the scary part. We get to be like David, only it's not near as hard. I want to pray for you as a congregation, but what I'd like to do first is I want you to step out from where you are, and I want to invite you to walk down here to the front and join together with scores of the rest of us, and we're going to pray for God to help you to choose to stand, to choose faith, to choose confidence in the circumstances and the opportunities, like them or not, that God brought to you. Come out from where you are right now. Just, we'll wait. Come on down front. Uh, those of you who come first, come along right in front of the stage because we'll need the room. Last service, we kind of filled things up. I'm going to take a stand. And the opportunities I'm facing, I need God in the middle of it. Just keep coming on in. Go to the sides. Come around the front here. Let's down in front of here like this. Yeah, that's it. Start the trend this way. There we go. Yeah, come on here because we need all the room again. Kind of keep coming over this way. Keep coming this way. We got. We got. We'll all get in. That took something, didn't it? And this little voice kept. No, don't go. Now sit down. Didn't. But you stepped out. We can imagine what David must have felt. Well, I'm this far. I'm going to go. Now, it takes faith to do that. It takes faith. Okay, God's looking. God notices. God cares. So before I pray, would you just quietly but out loud, would you tell God why you came forward? God, I came forward because. I don't know which, which, what's the circumstance. What's driving you here? God, I came forward. Just describe it to him. And you tell him why you came forward out loud, quietly. I came for because, and it, it makes me feel. Tell them what you're feeling and the thoughts you're struggling with. I'm struggling with these emotions. I'm struggling with these thoughts. Just tell them. And tell them, but I trust you. Come on, just tell them, I trust you. And I need you. So as sincere as you can, ask him, please help me. Please meet me where I am. So Lord, you see my brothers and sisters here. God, there's a lot of hard stuff represented here. There's a, there are painful pasts that we just can't seem to break away from. There are doubters that are taking us out, facing giants in our life that we never expected. There is such un a threatening uncertainty or pain inside of us, and we don't know where to turn, but we do. We turn to you, and so we've come before you, and we stand here in, in faith, taking a step of faith, saying, here we are. Holy Spirit, I pray that you pour yourself out of them in powerful, new, comforting, amazing ways. 
I pray that each one who came forward will just sense your love and your presence and your care. And there'll be a divine sense of anticipation of whatever's coming next, whatever opportunities there are. And we will say, if God is for me, who can be against me? We thank you, God, not only for the strength to come forward, but the strength to persevere and for the testimonies of your hand that will come from this moment, this response, this surrender today. In your name we pray. Now, I want to I prime the pump for what we do from here. And so, first of all, I want you to repeat after me. So I'm, <laughs> here's what you should say. If God is for me, who can be against me? Allah. I want you to say, see, God did do Romans 8.28. Repeat this, God used me before, he will use me again. And imagine whatever drove you here and say, I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Whatever happens, I will hope and trust in God. The Holy Spirit is my comforter. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now our closing is a song that the team is going to sing for you. You can feel free to sing it. Stand there and just pray whatever you want. If you want to kneel, you can. Uh, But it is great advice for us. It's a great pledge, and that is to keep on praying. your impossible your I need a miracle what got you barely hanging by a single thread what looks so hopeless now what weighs down your heart without you beg for a breakthrough but no sign of breakthrough yet when you cried and you cried till your tears run dry and the answer won't come and you don't know why and you wonder if you can buy your head even one more time. Don't stop praying. Don't stop calling on Jesus' name. And keep on pounding on heaven's door. And let your knees wear out the floor. Don't stop believing. These mountains move with just a little faith. And your Father has heard every single word I say.
We love you guys. Be blessed and we'll see you next weekend.